I'm Jill Shaw, and I'm here with Ross Wilson to bring you an update on what happened last night at school committee. The Boston School Committee meeting ran just over six hours with two key points of discussion, the much-awaited back-to-school plans and a discussion about the new admissions test for the exam schools. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Well, this was a very long meeting, um, and it was tremendous that there were over 600 participants on the Zoom. So uh, people were very, very anxious to hear what the superintendent had to say about back to school. Um, there was a very general discussion, um, which we'll get into, but uh, effectively they presented something that they called a plan regarding guardrails. And um, they kind of set up a grid, if I'm recalling this correctly, that looked like a checkerboard um, and said that that this notion of a hopscotch plan where every other desk will be filled um, with students kept six feet apart and um, the idea that there'll be a little bit of structure and support from central office was sort of what they submitted as guardrails. And then, and then they suggested that the onus would really be on each school leader, which is probably right, to figure out how to implement and reopen schools safely at each location. Is that, does that seem like the right summary? Yes, Jill. So, so essentially we would have A students and B students and um, A students would go to school Monday and Tuesday. B students would go to school Thursday and Friday. Um, there would be Wednesday would be a deep cleaning day. So the school would be closed and, and there'd be deep cleaning. Um, and that for high schools, potentially you could have a week and B week. So students would go to school. Uh, a students would go to school for a week and then B students would go to school for a week. And when students were not in school, they'd be learning um, at a different location at home or potentially at a, at a, at a community partner site. Um, and that um, the, here's the really important part that the teacher would be teaching students remotely and in person at the same time. So essentially cameras in every classroom where students would be able to log in, uh, be part of the class, either remotely or in person. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot to dig into here. And I think still a lot to be defined because um, there wasn't much detail um, around anything really. Um, and, and there was this reinforcement that this is a draft and that this proposal is really about guardrails that are being set up by the district and that each leader will be looked to to implement specific to their school. Um, but let's play some of the school committee members' questions because they were the same questions that we had. So the first thing I want to set up here is um, a quote from Michael Lacanto who's the chairman of school committee. That plan, uh, we are focusing on trying to get kids back in person. Uh, and that's why we are focusing on this hybrid model. Uh, and um, we will continue as uh, we started with uh, Chief Martinez in his presentation earlier to be mindful of what the public health uh, environment looks like and what the best practices look like uh, in um, public health uh, containment practices around the virus. Yes. Yeah, so, Jill, we, we have about 49. No, not about. We have 49 days uh, until reopening of school on September 10th. And clearly, Chairman Lacanto is saying we want to have a plan with kids back in school at least part of the time. Um, 
And that's what we're going to move towards. So essentially, BPS said there's three different plans they'll submit to the state. Um, there'll be a fully virtual plan, there'll be a hybrid plan, and then there'll be a fully in-person plan with all students returning back in person. Which they said, which they said would be really short. Yeah, they said very clearly that's, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. So we'll either end up in a remote learning plan where every student is remote, or we'll end up um, in a plan where we'll have some students back um, and, and rotating in and out of the school. Um, now, you know what's interesting, though? I mean, one key piece of infrastructure, which was up on a slide for a moment, said we need cameras and we need technology. But there was no I mean, that's a lot of cameras and a lot of technology. And there was there was no budget submitted at all to kind of give like a framework for what the expectation was that every school was going to have to spend incrementally to be prepared for teaching. And also there's te- got to be teacher training, right? Like this is not a normal condition. Well, what we heard, um, not at the school committee last night, we did hear from some teachers during public comment that they were concerned about not having input into this plan. Um, now we, we did hear from the Boston Teachers Union who submitted a, um, a newsletter during this meeting saying they only had seen uh, the plan for the first time uh, the night before school committee and that they had many questions about the plan that were unanswered. Um, and they were very concerned that the draft plan was presented at school committee um, because they do not think it's possible. Let, let's play a question from uh, school committee member, Ms. Robinson, about what is this simultaneous A-B uh, teaching look like, teaching kids remotely at the same time of teaching kids in the classroom. And then we'll actually continue here with the response from Ms. Pust, who is the superintendent's uh, advisor and leading the efforts around reopening. She'll explain to us what it looks like to have students um teaching, learning both remotely and in person at the same time. What does classroom life look like? And so I'm trying to understand um, if there's going to be group A is going to be physically in the class and group B is at home. And is the teacher simultaneously working with group A and group B? They are. And it is fascinating to watch that happen. And I have been in, in, uh, schools here in the city of Boston watching that happen and I I commend all of you in fact I'll share with the chair some um, links where you can also watch that happen so there there's a lot to be explained here um, I think and uh, I, I don't know what Ms. Poost was referring to in terms of the examples that we could see but certainly I, I would imagine that there's a lot of training to be done right for for teachers who are going to, be asked to teach at least in this model to start and and then fully remote after that. And also just aren't there operational questions about how how we're going to outfit all of the schools in the next month to to get this all done? I I think we should be highly concerned about the implementation of this plan. Um, It it does. So it sounds like this um, simultaneous teaching is the plan. Um, and allowing families to fully be remote or allowing families to come back in, in AB weeks or AB days. Um, but there's a ton left to, to understand, which is, again, yes, the, the, the classroom setups with the technology. You know, we have 125 schools, thousands of classrooms that need this setup. Um, and we, we, I, I think if we heard this plan two months ago or three months ago, we may have said, Let, let's all work towards this. Um, but hearing it uh, 49 days before the school year starts doesn't give you much hope that the uh, the plan can be implemented in time. 
It's just a, it's a lot of manpower. Um, and so Ms. Robinson um, asked a, a question that I think you and I have been talking about all summer, which is it's great to hear that they're thinking this way. Um, but she asked about making sure that students who need a space to be when they are part of the group that is remote, that they have a safe, technically connected space to um, learn from. We know all of our families are not going to be at home when their children are remote learning. Um, what plans do we have with city or with partners to make sure those children who cannot be in the classroom are in safe other locations and able to call in, check, you know, all, all of the above that's going to allow them for this hybrid model to be successful no matter where you are when you are remote. And Ms. Poos provided the following answer to her questions. It is not true that every family has the ability to um, stay home and supervise their fourth grader getting online. That's simply not been the case and it's not gonna be the case. And so really working with uh, Vice Chair Oliver Davila, we have been talking about how do we better reach to not only the traditional partners that we've used for both before and after school care, one, we want to use them because they have adults that already know our kids and know the work. But two, we have a little problem with that in that they use our space. We need people out of our space so we can deep clean our space on a more regular basis. So we're trying to figure out, well, how do we on a neighborhood basis figure out other spaces that those partners can then occupy? Um, and then we can have our kids there as an option for parents to choose. So, so Jill, I mean, this, this raises, so I think this is a really important part, point here that we do need spaces for students to go when they're remote, right? We have families who need, uh, parents who need to be working. We, who, who, um, we need students to be in safe places that are supervised when they're not in school. And, and I think this is a great question from Ms. Robinson. And I'm glad that Ms. Pust is thinking about this and engaging community partners to open up their doors, provide supervised spaces for students to learn remotely. Um, and what we heard a little bit of this is like, it, this could be a neighborhood by neighborhood approach um, where we identify all the community assets in the neighborhood, uh, identify adults who could potentially support students learning at those sites. And when they're not in school, they could be at, at another location, again, socially distanced and in a safe learning environment. Um, that, would be, that would be a wonderful uh, solution to, to this issue of students um, not having a place to go when school, when they're not, uh, allowed to be in school. Right. Because it just not to, we don't want to lose the point that 10,000 students approximately never signed on, that many students didn't attend classes daily that were provided online. And and many, much of what we heard um, was that uh, there were multiple kids in uh, home and only one could use the computer that was provided to them or that they were having technical difficulties connecting or that there were just other family issues that we're um, not allowing uh, students to participate in school. And so the, really reaching out to the community partners and to just as gaining as much real estate as we possibly can for right now for to in order to bring students back to school and into spaces safely is, is really important. Um, Jill, I want to make a, I, I want to just note here about the, the superintendent did note that there was a survey um, put out for, for families and, and about 50% of families, actually a little less than 50% of families uh, completed the survey. It's more like 30%. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the survey results were this. About 20% of families said they were not comfortable coming back to school at all. 
Uh, 40% of families said they were like a hybrid um, model, both in school and out of school. And then 20% of families said they would like their children back in school full time. And about you know 10% or so were undecided. Um, mm-hmm. and so this is, it's just really interesting. Like we have a very mixed perspectives here on what families want. And so we need a model that will enable families to make the right choice for their family and, 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 and their circumstances. Um, we did also hear about a survey from teachers um, where more like 50% of teachers replied to the survey that said, uh, are you going to come back? And we heard that uh, all, you know, 90% of teachers were going to come back, you know, some were undecided or some were still worried, but they were all mostly considering coming back. And about 10% of teachers said that they're not willing to come back. Right. So it's important. It's important uh, context in, in, as we discuss what this model looks like. Absolutely. So Mr. O'Neill um, brings up the teachers as well in a question that he asks. Let's play that quote. I do want to talk for a minute as well about our teachers and their concerns. I agree with you that, you know, we absolutely have some of the best in the country. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, I'm not quite as optimistic as you are about the ease in trying to teach a classroom of students in front of you who are, um, let's face it, struggling to wear masks as we all are. We all can't wait to take them off um, and trying to do remote at the exact same time. I think that is gonna be extraordinarily challenging. And this is Ms. Poo's um, answer to his question. So please don't anybody on the 680 people listening mis- misquote me on this. It is a huge lift, but it is a huge lift for these kids to not have education too. And when it comes to picking between where is that burden gonna fall on adults or on kids, I think all of us are gonna say it falls on the adults to step up and do everything that we can to make it happen. And that's why I truly believe our teachers will and can. So, so Jill, you know, this, um, uh, this is a really important question. And, and again, we heard this during public comment a bit and we heard it from the teachers union about teachers saying, how are we going to do this? Like we just learned how to teach remotely um, in the spring. And that was fully remote, right? And I think things got better as time went on and teachers were doing breakout rooms and other ways of making learning happen. But we also saw great disparities between schools, you know, and between teachers around their comfort level with using technology. Now we have a plan that is basically saying we're going to have all teachers teach students remotely and in person simultaneously, and they'll rise to the occasion. Well, I think we need a little more detail than just saying that they're going to rise to the occasion. I agree with Ms. Poust in saying that we have to, adults have to figure out how to do this well, um, uh, but uh, we got to do more to support our teachers and just say, go, go do it. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. Right. Like this is, this is incredibly complicated. It's com- complicated across the country and around the world. So we're, we're not suggesting that it isn't, it just, um, there was so little detail presented last night as we're getting so close to the school year with 125 plus buildings and 54,000 kids sort of waiting to understand how they're going to go back to school and all of the teachers and administrators as well. And, you know, we, there was no discussion about making sure that we meet basic human needs of children, a little bit around the edges in terms of touching on food and um, making sure that every kid has a safe space to, um, to work in. Um, But, parents need support right now. And it's not something that the school system is used to doing, but it's something that I think 
we should be acknowledging because more than ever, parents are being asked to participate in their students or in their child's education, and they're going to need support to do that. And um, I wish we had heard a little bit more about that and about um, expectations around how families and teachers and administrators will collaborate to, um, to, to ensure that we have the best possible experience for students during this crazy, ridiculous time. I agree, Jill. Well, let's let's play a quote from the superintendent who summarized the conversation, um, and and um, and sort of spoke about the opportunity for community forums. Let's play that quote. You know, we are we met with our unions for the first time um, yesterday, and we are continuing to do that throughout um, the next couple of weeks. And we will have uh, hopefully some final drafts later. But these are preliminary. Uh, ideas right now and our, our, our more preferred methods and what we've been able to uh, learn and gain from the data, from the science. So we'll, we'll post, um, we will post the, the link to the community forums on this podcast website so everyone could have a, a look and uh, we encourage people to sign up and participate as much as they can. Um, and then, you know, as you heard from the superintendent, we expect to have some further details in the next couple of weeks. Um, I want to be clear here, Jill, we, you know, we have 49 days from opening of school and a ton of unanswered questions. We have questions about transportation. Now, there's a great question about you know students in seventh grade to 12th grade taking the MBTA and what are the protocols on the MBTA? And it doesn't seem like um, there is much of an answer there. We have a lot of concerns about air quality in schools. We have many classrooms without windows um, or appropriate ventilation. We have questions about recess and about lunch and about specialist teachers and how do we engage students in, in, um, in their specialties. Uh, do two, do teachers rotate rooms or stay in the same room? Do students switch classrooms? Do they use lockers? What about before and after school programs? And what about bathrooms? You know, what about touchless water fountains and touchless sinks? Um, all of these things, you know, and in, in, including entry into the building and exit from the building and, um, so on and so forth. Right. So there's just all these un, unanswered questions. Um, and so I don't think we did we we did as much to answer many questions for families. I think we have a, we have a lot of families probably are more anxious today than they may have been yesterday um, and waiting for the answers of can they go back to work? What will their children be doing in the fall? Um, and, you know, to some degree, Jill, we have to stop congratulating ourselves for the hard work that we've done and start getting serious about answering these questions. Well, and, and also, I mean, there are so many smart people in this district who run our schools and who teach at our schools and who are parents um, with students in the schools. And it doesn't sound like any of them are being engaged in any sort of deep way. And, you know, if there was any time that it takes a village, it's right now. And it was just so disconcerting to hear that we, uh, our administration is not calling on those leaders and asking them for their input and their collaboration, I guess, until now. I mean, now I think they're going to be handed these, this hopscotch plan and these guardrails and be asked slash told to go figure the rest out. But man, it feels really late in the game to be asking them to do that, knowing what we knew even back in March, that this, we were probably in this for the long run. Um, well, Jill, Jill, I would like to, you know, to call upon the school committee and the superintendent to release um, as many details uh, to families in the next week or two. And, and here's what I mean by that. I would like to see examples of schools set up in this model, that the hopscotch model. Mm-hmm. I would like to see sample schedules. I'd like to see uh, sample uh, how buses have been organized for students to sit. I would like to see 
um, schools set up in this environment. And I would like to mm-hmm. see it for at least 10 schools across the system that represent, you know, how our buildings look. Um, because they're so different. And we know, I mean, you and I spend lots of time walking the halls, you way more than me, um, for years. And I mean, there are classrooms that are in basement hallways. Right. I mean, and, and Jill, I, I've walked buildings uh, over the summer um, as recently as yesterday, uh, and um, nothing has happened in those buildings, Jill. There's yeah. no, no sign of any, their desks are stacked. There's been no attempts at setup. So I'm really quite confused as how we think we're going to make this, how, how we gain the trust of parents and students if we don't do the work of setting things up. I saw an example of a district uh, yesterday who went on a bus tour. Um, and they basically, they bought families and school committee members on buses to show how students would sit on the bus. They showed them how they would enter the building. They sat them in the desks of students separated six feet from one another and six feet from the teacher. And they felt what it would be like to be in that building with a face mask on. Mm-hmm. That's the experience we need for our families in Boston. Right. Our families need to have trust in this system. And simply saying hopscotch and this is the plan, does not gain the trust of our families. No, it really, I mean, this is a very hands-on thing. And we really need folks to be out in the community kind of showing and working with families and settling their nerves and and also just thinking about safety because it's it's just critically important for this fall. So um, public comment then was uh, the next part of the school committee meeting. There were 31 speakers during public comment. Do you want to summarize kind of high, just the high highlights of public comment, Ross? Sure, sure. So there was, um, there's a lot of concern about reopening and the voices of teachers, parents, and community members being heard in the reopening process. Um, the, there was concern um, around the exam school test for this year. So uh, this will come up in our next segment here, but there was concern about giving students an exam, a, a test to get into exam schools for the coming year. Uh, because of this um, interruption in the education mm. of students in Boston. Um, and then there, there was some continued concern around um, different, I guess, human resource movements. Uh, so there's department heads um, that all lost their job. The head of the history department, science department, math department, ELA department in Boston, all, all were terminated at the same time. And so we had some, there was some concern amongst families about how did that happen? Um mm. And why wasn't there more communication about that? And how are teachers being supported? And we also heard a little more uh, human resources concerns around headmaster contracts and a process for choosing uh, headmasters. Um, yeah. So, so, um, but let's let's get into let, let's get into the 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 next big topic here, which is um, about the new exam for um, to get into exam schools. Um, right. Jill, as you know. Um, we had a test called the ISEE, which is an independent school exam. And, and that's been used for, for I, I think, quite a few years in Boston, uh, I think potentially a couple decades, um, for students to, to test into exam schools. And it's, it's basically as 50% of what is, um, what is used to determine if a student gets access to an exam school. The other 50% of students' grades. Um, and the district, if you recall, um, had a process for choosing a new vendor um, for this test. They didn't want to use ICE any longer because they were uh, concerned that it had bias in the test. Um, and so they chose a new vendor that they just discussed last night called NWEA. Um, and they have the MAP assessment. Um, and that's going to replace the IC test at least for the next three years. Um, now, 
much of the conversation wasn't about this test. Um, yeah. In fact, you know, the presentation about this was the test is uh, less biased than the IC test. And, and um, the, the folks from BPS sort of demonstrated the analysis of that and why they believe that it will have less bias in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real conversation was about, should we be giving a test this year for students to enter an exam school um, given the coronavirus? Um, and so, so I think we, we should start with a quote from Ms. Robinson, who, who begins the conversation um, by saying, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we giving a test? And, and should we even give a test this year? What's going on? So let's play that quote from Ms. Robinson. So it feels like we're still having a conversation about processes, but we're not really ever coming back to look at the outcomes of our processes today to see whether any of those things have made a difference. Um, so, you know, if, there, if, if we don't believe the grades that they are receiving in their classes in a recommendation from their sixth grade teacher wouldn't be good enough um, today, why not? Um, because I'm still waiting to see some evidence that our efforts today have really clearly made a difference and we have no, we have no evidence. So it just feels like we're, we're, we're delaying the inevitable again. And yes, in a year when school is fine, if we want to have this conversation, that makes sense. But the, but the question um, that everybody has been saying, why, why are we belaboring this on the backs of 10, 11, 12 year olds when colleges aren't using tests and other things this year? I, I, I don't get what the issue is about this particular year. Um, yes, I feel like that we do need to have a group take a look at it, but the question is, you know, why, why are people so afraid? What are we afraid of um, that we have to go through all of this? Are we afraid a few black and brown children might take the, way, the, the, the seat of a, quote, better deserving white child? What is it? So Ms. Robinson asked the question, what are we afraid of? Right. And, and like you just said, Ross, we're, we're, we're having this conversation that the, the, the agenda felt like it was a presentation of the new exam for, for the exam schools and, and it BPS students take this exam for entrance into the exam schools and students from around the city who are attending private schools also take this exam or used to take the IC for entrance into the exam schools. And, and we know specifically, at least at Latin school, about 50% of the population is new to the Boston public schools um, and gains entrance for out of the private school community and into the um, exam schools, bringing many new families into the Boston public schools. And so the conversation is now shifting to, do we give an exam and what are we afraid of? And um, Mr. Lacanto answers that question. I'll be frank. I've been disappointed that you know people have approached this in a very positional way. Um, the idea that we need to ditch the test here this year as part of this admissions process, I think, is putting the cart before the horse. Quite frankly, you know, we're trying to engage in a thoughtful conversation and have an informed discussion about what it means to change 
something that's been in place for decades for the criteria that we use to admit students to these three schools. That's monumental, you know, and that's, we have to get it right. We have to get it right for our kids and we have to get it right for our kids in this moment. And so I don't want to have a knee-jerk reaction. I don't want to take action just to make change. I want to make enduring change. I want to make change that means something and change that takes into account what, and I'm speaking for myself, of course. I mean, others can, you know, feel free to uh, feel differently, but I, I want to, you know, I want to make clear that the work that we're doing here, we have to get it right. We have to get it right so that we honor the efforts of our, our children. We, we honor the, the attributes of our children, the, uh, the potential of our kids, and make sure that the kids that want to be in these schools and deserve to be in these schools are in these schools. I think it's time that we made some change, and I want to be informed about that. I want a, a group to focus on this work and give us those recommendations so that we can move forward fully informed in an appropriate manner. So so Chairman Lacanto is basically saying, you know, we this is so difficult. We, we, we need to make a decision in the next 30 days. This has been, by the way, this test and this process has been around for a long time. Um, and we're, he's very concerned that, you know, we need to make a very hard decision in the next 30 days. Um, so, well, and, and I do, I think we, we didn't explain that we, the, the point of discussion came up because the superintendent has proposed that we, that, and she's also, she's created a task force who will report in, in 30 days. It just was created regarding whether or not a test will be given this year for entrance into the exam schools next year. Is that right? Right. So this stemmed out of the Opportunity and Achievement Gap uh, Committee, which right. is a committee that's uh, that, that has a couple of school committee members on it. And they recommended to the superintendent a couple of weeks ago that um, they said, hey, we, we think we should not do testing this year uh, of students to get into the exam schools. And um, I think the very next day, the superintendent announced a new uh, assessment. Um, mm-hmm. a new test. And that caused, I think, quite a, a bit of conflict. Um, and the superintendent is now calling upon a task force that will meet in the next 30 days, within the, over the next 30 days to make a recommendation about should we use the new MAP assessment this coming year or not. Um, but let's, one more piece of that is let's play a quote from Mr. O'Neill, who is asking, what do we do? If, if we don't do this test, what do we do? Let's play that quote. And so my answer back to you, Ms. Robinson, would be, you know, what's changed and what's different? You know, it, it would be easy. It would be a tough vote, but it would be easy as well for, for this body to simply say, yeah, we're not going to have an exam this year. But that doesn't answer the question of what are we, what are we going to have? We are still going to have students applying for all three of our selective admission schools. They still want to know what the criteria is going to be and whether we have a test or whether we don't have a test, we still need a, a comprehensive answer. So, so Jill, if we didn't already have enough on the plate uh, for, for school reopening, we also have this, you know, big question of, um, you know, what will it, what, what will we use to get into exam schools? Um, and as you know, Jill, I think the IC or the exam school tests are typically given in November. So I think families, you know, are, are, are wondering, um, you know, what test, will they be taking the test or not taking the test in, in November? A lot of unanswered questions and that, that this has raised. Um, so it will be really important to see what this committee, uh, who comes together on this committee and what recommendations they ultimately make. Yeah. Cause it's not, I mean, I think it, it, it like 
Mr. Lacanto said, and like Ms. Robinson points out, it, it is, um, it is, it's it's a smart thing to do to sit back and rethink how kids enter the exam school, right? I, I would argue all the way back to kindergarten when they enter the school system. How do they make their way into the exam school? Um, to achieve that decision in 30 days or to make a set of recommendations that say, okay, alternatively, we're going to use this methodology this year for entrance to the exam school. It's a super heavy lift, but it appears that that is how things are moving forward. That's right. Um, right. So this, this, so these two topics, Jill, were, are, are uh, super important for the future of our, of our city. And, and uh, you know, this is, this is going to be a really interesting 49 days. Um, yeah. Now, the, it's important to note here, the school committee has added two additional virtual meetings, uh, August 5th and August 19th, both at 5 p.m. So for those listeners who are wondering what they were going to do between this last night at school committee and September, um, we will have two more installments of last night at school committee that were unexpected, but will happen um, in the coming weeks. So uh, August 5th, August 19th, for the next school committee meetings. And, and uh, we'll also post all of the forums for adding input around school reopening. And that is it for last night at school committee. Thank you for listening to last night at school committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.